Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaur Bhaktivinda Ki Jati Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gopina Shani Kunda Radha Kunda Kiri Govardhan Ki Jai Vrindavan Dham Ki Jai Tura Dham Ki Jai Nabhadri Mayapur Dham Ki Jai Jagannath Puri Dham Ki Jai Ganga Maya Jumun Devi Ki Jai Bhakti Devi Ki Jai Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai Samaveta Bhakti Bhakti all glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. Namo Om Vishnu Bhagavan Vishnu Stanagar. Sri Mati Bhakti Gnanta Swami Monday, Ham Shri Guru Shri Vitao Parakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavanscha Shri Vitao Sarvaja Tam Sangana Harana Tamitam Sangsadiva Sadvaitam Sadvaitam Harijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Vaha Krishna Padam Sahadana Lavita Shri Vishakamitam Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya This is April 1st, 2013 in Zagreb, Croatia, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 7, Chapter 10, Prahlad, the best among exalted devotees, texts 15 through 17. And we will read text 15, it's on the board. Sri Parada Uvacha, Varambaraya Itate, Varadeshan Maheshwara, Yarani dat pita, Yaran in dat pita me, Yaran in dat pita me, Twam seja Ashwaryam, Twam Varadesham Maheshwaram Yaranidat Pitame Twama Vidvans Teja Ashwayam Maybe we should say it Yaranidat Pitame Twam Avidvans Teja Ashwayam That would work if we did it that way If you put the Twam after the name because you have one less syllable on that line and too many syllables on that song. So if it was Yad Anindat Pitame Twam Avidvam Seja Aishvayam, then it would work. Okay, anybody want to try? Shibrada Vata Varambara Etate Varambara Etate Varadesham Maheshwaram Varadesham Maheshwaram Yadandat Pitame Yamanindat Pitame Vamavidvam Steja Aishwaram Vamavidvam Steja Aishwaram Shibrada Vata Varam Varaya Etate Varadesham Shri Parada Uvacha. Oh, actually, we should perhaps have a minute because we're doing two more verses. Vidamar Shai Asana Shakshat Sarvaloka Gurum Prabhum 
Bratir Heti Mishadristis Twam Bhakti Mai Chalkavan Tasmat Pitame Pujeta Durantad Dustarad Agat Kutaste Pangasandristas Tadakripana Vatsala Sri Parada Uvacha Pralad Maharaj said Varam Benediction Varaye I pray Etat this te from you Varada Ishat the Supreme Personality of Godhead who offers benedictions even to such exalted demigods as Brahma and Shiva. Maha Ishvara, O my Lord, yet that Anindat, vilified, Pita, Father, May, my, Twam, you, Avidvan, without knowledge of, Teja, strength, Aishvarya, supremacy, Vida, being polluted, Amarsha, with anger, Ashayaha, within the heart, Sakshad, directly, Sarvaloka Gurun, unto the Supreme Spiritual Master of all living beings, Prabhum, unto the Spiritual Master, Bratraha, the killer of his brother, Iti, thus, Misha Dristi, falsely envious because of a false conception, Twat Bhakte, unto your devotee, Mai, unto me, Cha, and Agavan, who committed heavily sinful activities, Tazmat, from that, Pita, Father, May, My, Puyeta, may be purified, Durantat, very great, Dushtarat, difficult to pass over, Agat, from all sinful activities, Puttaha, although he was purified, Te, of you, Apanga, by the glance over him, Samdrista, being looked at, Tada, at that time, Kripana Vatsala, O you who are merciful to the materialistic. I should say this is one of the most extraordinary verses in the Shastra. And it's this this verse alone is a great key as to how to become Krishna conscious and how to become happy. So before we read the verse in purport, I'd like us to really meditate on the relationship between Hiranyakashipu, Prahlad, and Nishingadev. How Hiranyakashipu tried to kill Prahlad in so many ways. Tried to poison him. He tried to throw him under the feet of elephants, put him out in a storm, starve him, put him with poisonous snakes, have his demon soldiers attack him with weapons. And I'm sure we have somebody in our life who's tried to hurt us. Probably we have not had anybody who tried to kill us. Maybe. Probably not. And would we say this prayer for the people who have hurt us or who have tried to hurt us? So if Krishna was directly in front of us saying, ask for a benediction, you must ask for some benediction, would we say this? Translation. Prahlad Maharaj said, O Supreme Lord, because you are so merciful to the fallen souls, 
I ask you for only one benediction. It's only one. It's not like Prahlad's asking for all kinds of benedictions, and this is just one among many. Only one. I know that my father, at the time of his death, had already been purified by your glance upon him. So Prahlad Maharaj saw that Lord Nisingadev looked at him and he thought, that must have already purified him. But Prahlad Maharaj wants to make sure. But because of his ignorance of your beautiful power and supremacy, he was unnecessarily angry at you, falsely thinking that you were the killer of his brother. Thus he directly blasphemed your lordship, the spiritual master of all living beings, and committed heavily sinful activities directed against me, your devotee. So Prahlad's not a fool. He's not saying, my father did nothing wrong. He's saying, my father blasphemed you and did very serious sinful activities against me. I wish that he be excused for these sinful activities. Purport. Although Hirani Kashiku was purified, as soon as he came in contact with the Lord's lap and the Lord saw him, Prahlad Maharaj still wanted to hear from the Lord's own mouth that his father had been purified by the Lord's <coughs> causeless mercy. Prahlad Maharaj offered this prayer to the Lord for the sake of his father. As a Vaishnava son, despite all the inconveniences opposed upon him by his father. Now, how is it the Prabhupada's using this word inconveniences? I wouldn't think it inconvenient if somebody attacked me with weapons. Huh? So if somebody shot guns at me and pierced me with tridents, I wouldn't say, oh, that was very inconvenient. <laughs> huh? I mean, even if somebody tries to harm me in some other way just by speaking lies about me or whatever, I don't say, oh, what an inconvenience. One probably says, inconveniences. So as a Vaishnava son, despite all the inconveniences opposed, imposed upon him by his father, he could not forget his father's affection. So that's also extraordinary. If somebody hurts me or tries to hurt me, generally we meditate on the harm they did to us, not on their... We usually think the harm cancels the affection. We don't meditate on the affection. Read through this verse again. Prahlad Maharaj said, O Supreme Lord, because you are so merciful to the fallen souls, I ask you for only one benediction. I know that my father, at the time of his death, had already been purified by your glance upon him. But because of his ignorance of your beautiful power and supremacy, he was unnecessarily angry at you, falsely thinking that you were the killer of his brother. Thus he directly blasphemed your lordship, the spiritual master of all living beings, and committed heavily sinful activities directed against me, your devotee. I wish that he be excused for these sinful activities. Wow. What a standard that we are being asked to come to. And actually, without coming to this standard, one cannot enter into higher realms of bhakti. That is not possible the gateway between unsteady bhakti and steady bhakti is Trinata Pesumichina, Tarori Vasavishina, Amani Damani Dana Kirtaniya Sadhari. To offer all respects to others and not care about how one is being treated. And not only for our personal self, but as far as the community of devotees. So a little while ago I was lecturing on a verse about Prithu Maharaj and Indra, how Indra kept stealing Prithu Maharaj's horse for the sacrifice. So he wasn't trying to kill Prithu, but he was interfering with Prithu's service to, to Vishnu. He kept obstructing Prithu Maharaj's service to Vishnu. And it says there that Prithu felt uh, envious of Indra, and Indra felt envious of Prithu. And Prabhupada says there in the, in the purport that the demons maintain their anger without stopping perpetually, whereas the devotees, 
they quickly adjust the situation through repentance and through forgiveness. So Indra repented for stealing the horse, Prithu repented for being envious, and they each forgave each other. So if we're going to have a society of devotees, it has to be full of this repentance and forgiveness. And if we want to personally, if we want to see Krishna and we want to you know, have our swarup revealed and enter into Vrindavan, we also have to have this mood of forgiveness and respect and tolerance. There's, there's no shortcut around it. It's not that, you know, well, if I just do a lot of service and chant, you know, a hundred rounds every day, but I don't forgive anybody, that, you know, it's, it's not going to work. This is the, the master key, is this humility and forgiveness. They, they go very much together. Humility is not just walking around saying, oh, I'm so full and... and this sort of social humility etiquette we have in ISKCON, which, which is okay. It reminds us we're supposed to be humble. But, the, but real humility includes this forgiveness. So of course we may read this and think, well, I don't even know if I want to do this. You know, if somebody stabs me with a trident and poisons me, and then I see Krishna, and Krishna says, what would you like? And I say, well, I only want one thing. I want the person who tried to kill me to be purified. I don't want anything else. We might think, well, that doesn't even sound very attractive. I don't know if I even want that. Uh, generally, we're afraid of and even repulsed by this concept of being forgiving so we can ask, you know, why? Why is a devotee forgiving to this extent? And, and you could even say, Prahlad already knew that his father was purified. He said, I, I know. So you would think, why would he have to ask for that? It's already happened. But Prabhupada said he wanted to make sure. It was so important to him that we're only asking one benediction, something that's already happened, he wants to make sure. That's how important this forgiveness and mercy is to him. So why? So let's look first of all from a, a materialistic point of view, even for someone who's not a devotee. Forgiveness is very important from the karmic position. We're looking right now at somebody again, who's not a devotee. If you just want to be happy in this world, wishing well for your enemies is very important. We should note here that Prahlad Maharaj, his forgiveness is not saying, oh, my father did nothing wrong. It's all okay. No, he says, very heavily sinful, agavan, not just aga sins, but very heavy, heavy sins. So Prahlad is admitting, my father did serious things that were wrong. But forgiveness here is wanting the other person to be purified of their sins. And not just wanting them to be purified, but wanting them to be purified without punishment. So we often want the people who've harmed us to be purified, but we want them to be purified by punishment. However, if you want others to be purified by punishment, the reaction is that we also have to get purified by punishment. Because as Suniti explains to Dhruva Maharaj, if you want ill for others, you will suffer from that very thing. So every time we desire, I would like this person to learn their lesson through suffering, then we have to learn our lessons through suffering. One of the main reasons we bring karmic suffering on ourselves is that we desire karmic suffering for others. We're thinking, I, wish this, I hope this person suffers, and in that way they will learn their lesson. Another way that we become karmically entangled when we don't forgive is 
not only do we often want the person to suffer for hurting us, we often want to see that suffering. We want to experience it. Sometimes we even want to be the agent of that suffering. Sometimes it's not enough that they suffer. I want to be the one to make them suffer. You know, the worst is, I want to make you suffer. Little better than that is, I want to watch you suffer. And little better than that is, I want to at least know that you have suffered. So if I want to be the one to make you suffer, or if I want to watch you suffer, then guess what? I have to take birth again to watch you suffer and to make, or to make you suffer. And so in this way, enemies take birth over and over and over and over again with each other. This is explained nicely in the story of Maharaj Chitraketu, that Maharaj Chitraketu really wanted a son. We should understand the reason he really wanted a son. It's not that there was some sort of son obsession in the Bhagavatam, but if you're a responsible leader, one of your responsibilities is to make sure that there's a successor, because nobody lives forever. You, have, you don't want to just leave your leadership position without anybody being properly trained to take over. And the kings would also retire. They wouldn't wait till they died in office. They would retire as soon as they had a successor for many reasons, which we're not going to discuss right now. So it was very important for him to have a son who he could train properly. And he married so many women, one after another, to try to have a son. None of them gave him a son. Finally, he had a son. And then when the son was very young, the son died due to being poisoned by some of Chitraketu's wives. And Chitraketu at that time said, this son was probably my enemy in a previous life, has taken birth as my son and died early to give me pain. And this is exactly the kind of thing that happens. So you hurt me. And I'm thinking, I want you to suffer. I want you to suffer. I want you to suffer. That may lead me to take another birth so that I can make sure that you suffer. So, and another reason why materially forgiveness is a very good idea is that we are never really satisfied by the suffering of those who've hurt us. So you, if you read stories about, for example, someone who commits a murder, and the parents of the murdered child, they, they're thinking, you know, this guy has to get put in jail, or this guy has to get executed, and they go to court, and when the person is convicted and found guilty and put in jail for life or condemned to death, and then they'll ask the family members, now that you've gotten justice, now that this person is going to suffer for his crime, how do you feel? They never say, now I feel satisfied. Now I feel peaceful. They'll say things like, I feel nothing. It's quite interesting. Sometimes people will work for 20 years to convict the person who harmed them or harmed some family members. But no matter how much the other person suffers, they never feel, oh, now I'm satisfied. And we've seen this phenomenon, we have to say, even in our Krishna consciousness movement, that if someone has done something wrong, there'll be cries for that person to be punished. And there's no limit of punishment for which the people who are crying for that person to be punished then say, now we're satisfied that he's been punished enough. So the desire to punish your enemy does not lead to peace. So we looked at three reasons materially why it's wise to forgive, why it's wise to want your enemy, to want those who've hurt you to be purified through joy instead of suffering. That's the definition of forgiveness. They may have to be punished, but that's not your desire. On a practical level, evildoers may have to be punished. But the desire of the person is that this person be reminded, the person who hurt me be rectified through joy. So one materialistic reason is that if I want those who hurt me to be rectified through suffering, I will have to be rectified through suffering. I get back what I want. Another is that if I want those who hurt me to be punished, it may force me to take birth again and again in order to punish that person. 
I'm implicating myself deeply into karma. And another is that the punishment of my enemy does not bring me peace. It's one of those never satisfied and burns like fire situations where I never feel, okay, I, I have enough. So that's on the material level why forgiveness is good for the forgiving person. On a spiritual level, Krishna is very forgiving. If Krishna wasn't forgiving, there wouldn't even be a material world. Krishna would take the rebellious souls and just put them in suspended animation in the body of Mahavishnu forever or just send us all to hell forever like many conceptions of God in the world you know if you rebel against me suffer forever Krishna wouldn't be giving us a chance to fulfill our material desires and to come back to him and he gives us chance over and over and over and over and over again and Anybody who takes to the spiritual path, we can say, everybody, is going to commit some offenses. Yes? Can anybody say? Anybody here want to say, I've never committed an offense to God? But since I started chanting Hare Krishna, I've never committed any offense. Anybody prepared to say that? Even the great Acharyas, they say like this. Whether that's true or that's their feeling is another discussion. But they do say this. They say, my Lord, I've simply offended you. So if Krishna wasn't forgiving, where would we be? Nowhere. No, we, we couldn't take a step. I mean, I find it difficult to go a whole 24 hours without offending somebody or something, at least in my mind. I mean, you can try and experiment. Let me go for 24 hours without thinking any critical or envious thought of anybody. Try it as an experiment. And see, it's not very easy. What will happen is you'll become aware, oh, I have so many critical and envious thoughts. What to speak of words and what to speak of actions. So if Krishna wasn't forgiving... What is our hope? How can we not extend to others what Krishna has given to us? So Jesus tells that story. It was Easter yesterday, so we can say something about Jesus. So he tells that story of the man who goes to the judge and says, I can't pay my debts. You know, in those days, a person had to go to jail to pay their debts. He says, I can't pay my debts. Please forgive me. That means that everyone you owe money to, they have to just accept that you're not going to pay them. And the judge says, okay, you're excused from your debts. And then the man, Jesus says, that the man goes outside and he sees someone who owes him money. And he says, hey, pay up. And someone goes back and says to the judge, this man you just excused from debt, he's demanding repayment from others. And the judge calls him back and now you have to pay your debts. So we are living on Krishna's mercy. There's, there's no sadhana we can do that we say, now I'm qualified. I'm not like that. Obviously, we have to do our sadhana, but it's not, it, it's not that I can do something that's going to impress Krishna. Oh, he, Krishna has to be very forgiving with me. I mean, I don't know how many millions of times a day Krishna has to forgive me, but it is millions. So can I not offer that same mercy to others? And also spiritually, even for the impersonalists, one has to become the friend of everyone. If one is seeing the world in terms of friends and enemies, you cannot get out of dualistic thinking. The higher realms of bhakti are not simply unlimited ecstasy and unlimited knowledge and freedom from pain. They're also this universal vision. Where you see everybody equally, everyone is a soul. 
You don't hate anyone. As Krishna says, I don't hate anyone. I don't envy anyone. So that's also what we are aspiring to. If we're saying, I want to be Krishna conscious, that's what being Krishna conscious includes. It includes this vision of being free from this idea that this person is my friend and this person is my enemy. It, it's part of a package. And of course, with, without seeing like that, who's going to have peace? How can you have peace if you're always worried about your enemies, solidifying your friendships and conquering your enemies? And you're always in a disturbed condition. And there's no, there's no question also, you know, again, like this judge, Krishna is not going to give us his faith. So from a spiritual point of view, to get Krishna's mercy, to enter into higher bhakti, one must have this attitude. So what do you do with this attitude? So the essential thing here is you recognize what the other person has done wrong, but you want them to be purified in as easy and as joyful a way as possible. And why do you want the other person to be purified? For their sake. That's the essence of forgiveness. So how do you do this? Well, first of all, you have to have no fear from your enemies. As soon as we're afraid that our enemies can harm us, then we are going to want to protect ourselves. So the devotee has to be fearless. We talked about this the other day. And fearlessness comes from Krishna's in my heart, Krishna's with me, and he's protecting me. You can say, well, do people do hurt me, but then it must be Krishna's allowance. Mare Krishna Rake Kim Rake Krishna Mare So if Krishna's allowing someone to hurt me, then that must actually be something good for me. Ultimately, it is Krishna who's doing everything. These other people are simply agents. And whatever Krishna does is good. Prabhupada says in the purport to 1515 Bhagavad Gita, God is all good, God is all merciful. So I don't need to protect myself by hurting others. Krishna is protecting me. And anything that happens to me is for my good. Anything that happens to me is for my good. That is how one has a forgiving mentality. One has to be fearless. A fearful person cannot be forgiven. Because a fearful person will think, I have to protect myself by harming this other person. Maybe learning through joy will not be enough. And whether our suffering is due to our karma or whether our suffering is due to Krishna's desire, ultimately... It's all Krishna's desire. Now, on a practical level, does that mean you just stand there and let people beat you over the head? No. I mean, maybe sometimes. There's the example of Ambarish Maharaj where Javasamuni tried to kill him and he just stood there. Uh, why did he do that? Well, he was playing the role of a Ksatriya and Javasamuni was a Brahmana and Javasamuni was his guest. And he felt in that circumstance he should not retaliate against a Brahmana who's his guest. But we can be sure that if King Ambarish were on the battlefield and some, somebody tried to kill him, that he would definitely retaliate. And we can also be sure that as the king, the king, if he was dealing with a criminal, that he would arrest them and punish them. That is out of duty. So this forgiveness doesn't mean that I always stand there and just take it. But it means I have no feeling of enmity against the person who hurt me. I don't have any enviousness toward them. Oh, let them suffer too. I have no hatred toward them. Because I know that Krishna is protecting me. On the soul, I cannot be hurt. Whatever is happening to me is for my good. Now one may think, oh, another thing here, which is interesting, is in this case, and this is not always the case, but in this case, the person who was hurting Prahlad was his father, 
and therefore his father had also been affectionate towards him. Now sometimes the people who hurt us, all they've ever done is hurt us. Our, our entire relationship with them is that they have hurt us and only hurt us. But many times also the people who have hurt us, it's mixed. Sometimes they've been nice to us and sometimes they've hurt us. Yeah. So another, another way here, another method that Prahlad Maharaj is using to be forgiving is he's focusing on the good in the other person. So there's a nice explanation of this in the fourth canto in regards to Daksha and Shiva, how Daksha only saw the bad in Shiva and Shiva only saw the good in Daksha. And Vishnu Chakravati Thakur gives four levels of only seeing the good in others and four levels of only seeing the bad in others. So as far as only seeing the good in others, the bottom level, which any of us can do, is you see others' faults, but you see them as potential good qualities. You see, yes, this person has this fault, but if it was used properly, it could be a good quality. Just like I was saying the other day, if you see devotees fighting among each other, you can see, oh, they have such a nice fighting propensity. If they were to fight with Maya, this would be glorious. You follow? You don't just say, oh, they should stop fighting because that's not going to happen. You say, Let, if they could work together to fight against Maya. And we see that practically, that if devotees are fighting with each other, as soon as they have some threat from the outside, they'll join together and give up their inter-group inter envy, intra-group envy. And the same if they work together on a project, some preaching project, then even though, then they stop fighting with each other, that energy goes elsewhere. So that's the first thing. You see the person's faults as potential good qualities. The next is, you see both the faults and the good qualities, but you focus on the good qualities and you ignore the faults. So that's what we're seeing here. Prahlad Maharaj is seeing his father's faults, but what he's remembering, Prabhupada says, or he could not forget, what he's remembering is, oh, my father also had so much affection for me. In so many ways, in so many ways, at so many times, he was loving. Then the next level is you only see the good qualities. You don't even notice the faults. You're not even aware of the faults. And the top level is even if the person doesn't have good qualities, you see them anyway. So how is that possible? That's possible because as George Harrison wrote in his introduction to Krishna book, everyone is looking for Krishna. Or Ishila Prabhupada explains in the Nectar Devotion that at whatever, whatever anyone's doing is motivated by a desire for rasa. So we can see that whatever anyone's doing, they're actually looking for Krishna. Prabhupada, in speaking about this, said the, the murderer is trying to enjoy the ghastly rasa. And one can see, oh, very good, he's trying to enjoy the Vasudevas. Now, of course, he's doing it foolishly. Prabhupada says, if you want to enjoy the ghastly rasa, you should worship. Whom should you worship if you want to enjoy the ghastly rasa? No. No. Vaishnava. Vaishnavas. Who should Vaishnavas worship if they want to enjoy the ghastly rasa? The Singha day. He's pretty ghastly. Wearing intestines, throwing hearts around. So Prabhupada said, if you want to enjoy this ghastly rasa, you worship a single But Prabhupada saw the good. Oh, the person who's the killer, he's trying to enjoy this ghastly rasa. Wanting to enjoy the ghastly rasa, that's a good thing, wanting to enjoy rasa. Of course, they're doing it in a way that's harmful. But that desire... You want to enjoy that because we're really just wanting to enjoy Krishna. Do you follow that logic? Yeah. So in that way, one can see the good even when there's no good. Even the most horrible, despicable criminal who has not one single good quality, you can look at them and say, oh, look at all these good qualities. They're actually looking for Krishna. They're actually looking to enjoy rasa. That's, of course, the view of the Uttama Adhikari. 
and the Uttamadikari therefore doesn't preach because he thinks everybody's always looking for Krishna. You have to have that mentality to stay in the spiritual world, otherwise, if you didn't, otherwise you'd just run down here and help everybody. Yes. So this is also how Prahlad Maharaj is forgiving, he's seeing the good. So at least in these two bottom levels we can do. We can see people's faults as potential good, and we can see both the faults and the good, but we can focus on the good. At least we can do those two levels. The other two levels may be a little difficult, but at least that bottom. And actually having this, uh, wanting those who hurt us to be purified through joy is again something that anybody can do. This is, doesn't require that we're on the level of Pralada It's And it's not that first you come to the level of Pralada Maharaj and then you can do this, but by practicing this you come to the level of Pralada Maharaj. Do you understand the difference? It's not that we say, well, I'm just going to hate my enemies and I'm going to wish ill for those who harm me. And somehow or other by chanting Hare Krishna, I'll become like Prahlad and then I'll change. I mean, Jesus was teaching this to the common people, my dear friends. He wasn't teaching this to saints. Yes, am I correct? Is this the basic teachings of Jesus? Love your enemy, do good for those who harm you, bless those who curse you. Yes? We just had Easter yesterday. And what's Jesus doing? Nailed to the cross. Same thing Prahlad Maharaj is doing. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Exactly, exactly what Prahlad Maharaj is saying here. He's saying due to ignorance. My father offended you due to ignorance. Please forgive us. And this instruction is given to the mass of people. It's, this means it's something that we can do. It's something that we can do today. We can love our enemies, we can bless those who curse us, and we can do good for those who harm us. If we understand that even materially, we are hurting ourselves very, very much by hating our enemies and cursing our enemies and wishing ill for our enemies, we are entangling ourselves in karma, and that without becoming forgiving, we cannot advance to bhakti. We cannot really get the mercy of the Lord. We cannot experience the higher realms of bhakti. Then uh, we must do this. There, there really isn't an option if we, if we want to become even materially happy, what to speak of becoming spiritually happy. And again, it's not so difficult. It's Krishna's protecting me, Krishna's taking care of me, whatever happens to me is the grace of the Lord. And therefore, just as the Lord wishes well to everyone, I can wish well to everyone. I can acknowledge the other person's sin against me, but I can wish them well. Actually, Abhanu Maharaj was asked once, how do you counteract people cursing you? He said, wish them well. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I have to do a yagya and send somebody back to them, but not to wish them well. So Krishna is protecting me, Krishna is taking care of me. Whoever hurts me is simply an agent of my own karma or an agent of Krishna's will. Whatever happens to me is good. May those who have done harm to me or to others, may they become purified in as joyful and easy a way as possible. I may have to call the police. It's a practical matter. I may have to run away. That, again, is a practical matter. But in my heart, my desire is, let this person not suffer. Let this person become rectified. Prahlad wanted him to be rectified, but through joy. And he wanted to be sure of it. I know you've already purified him, but, but is, he, is he purified? Has he been rectified? So, questions, comments? Yes. Thank you for this lecture, but uh, it's so nice here about how we can practice. Example, if uh, all the world now listen to your lecture and somehow everyone will 
artist list that uh, I will forgive, I will forgive, uh, work with him, and then all criminals with this world will use this situation. Oh, this is our world now, we can do whatever we like. And uh, I feel that... Uh, no, no, on a practical level, you may have to put somebody in jail. Prahlad Maharaj became the king. He wasn't a wimpy king. You understand wimpy? In fact, Prahlad Maharaj gave some instructions to Bali Maharaj about practical punishment of criminals. And he said, if somebody has committed a second offense, even if it's very slight, then they should be punished. You know, if they're unrepentant, he gave a list of people who should be excused from punishment and people who should be punished. He said you should never excuse everybody and you should never punish everybody. I don't remember, but I have it on my computer. I don't remember exactly what it is. But the mood, I'm talking here about the mood. If you're the king, you're the government. That's part of your duty is to punish. Must. But not in anger. Not with vengeance. With regret. There's one place, I think it's in the second canto, where Prabhupada says that Krishna regretfully punishes the conditioned souls. Something like that. I'm not getting the words right. But that he doesn't, he doesn't like it. It may be necessary, but you don't like it. So if you're a government officer, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a guru, you must sometimes give people unpleasant consequences. A judge, yes. Must. That's your duty. If you're a parent, you can't just say to your children every time they do something wrong, oh, don't do that. Mother Yasoda punishes Krishna. But she doesn't want to hurt Krishna. That's the point. She's not envious of Krishna. She doesn't want to hurt him. So it's a mood. I don't want those who do harm to suffer. Sometimes there may not be any alternative. But that's not my desire. I want them to be purified. And please, it's not that we don't want them to be purified. Forgiveness is not... Oh, just let them go on doing all these things. That's not what Prahlad Maharaj is saying. He's not saying, oh, let my father go on trying to kill other people. He said, stop him. Blissfully. He's asking the same day not to say, let my father go on being a demon. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, let my father stop being a demon blissfully. You see this, so I used to teach civics in secondary school, and I would take my students to the court many times. And you see this, not in all the judges, but in many of the judges. They really try to fix people without punishment if they can. They try to fix people through community service, through counseling, through drug treatment programs. You know, they pick jail as the last resort. They try to give as light of a, of a punishment as possible to fix the person, if they're a good judge. So that's the mood. And Krishna's like that with us also, by the way. Krishna tries to fix us in as light and easy a way as possible, always. He only resorts to stronger methods if we don't respond to the light ones. The problem is a mood of vengeance. If we have that mood of vengeance, then we are harmed as much as the other person. We go in this cycle of harm. This was the, in the story of Dharma the bull. He said, if you name the perpetrator, you're just as bad. In other words, if you say, that's the person who hurt me, then you have the same envious, hateful mentality as that person. get the same reaction. And you'll get the same. Like, yes. You, you, you end up in this cycle. Now, you may have to identify practically. The police come. 
who robbed your house, or this person. But without envy, without hatred, without a desire for vengeance. <coughs> Is that clear? Yes. Of course, of course. I understood that. Okay. <laughs> person who's done the harm to be fixed joyfully. In other words, everybody should be dear to us. Not that I have, these people are dear to me and these people are not dear to me. I mean, on a practical level, I'm cooking for my children, I'm not cooking for everybody in the world. That's practical. And on a practical level, of course, I have special affection for my own children. It's just natural. But not that, but everyone is, should be dear to us. Everyone is part and parcel of Krishna. So if someone who you love, let's say it's someone who you love, and they did something wrong. What would you want for them? Suppose you find that your own child stole something. You want to fix them? but you'd like to fix them in as sweet a way as possible, wouldn't you? So you desire that for everyone. And we can do whatever we want. <laughs> but there's a... We have to live with the consequences of what we do. Somebody, you know, it's not that you purposely go into a cage with a tiger and hug the tiger. 
I mean, there is a platform of Uttama Adhikari like that. That's not, we're not being instructed to do like that. If somebody is really crazy and really harmful, then I may love them from a distance. That's the Majjuma platform. Majjuma stays away from the atheist. And frankly, we're also supposed to stay away from people who are very offensive. We're not supposed to be intimately associated with people who are very offensive. That doesn't mean I hate them. It doesn't mean I feel fear for them, from, about them. This wall is usually a wall of fear and, and, and anger. So again, I may say, well, look, this person is, is going to hurt my Krishna consciousness. If I'm around this person, well, you know, all they're going to do is blaspheme devotees and damage my faith. I can't deal with it. I can't help the person. That's the injunction. You're supposed to leave that place. But not with hatred. You wish the person well. I wish that you become rectified through joy. I don't want you to suffer. So if it's an extreme case, then yes, we have to have some separation. You know, we may love the barking dog, but we're not necessarily going to pet it and lose our hand. That's not very intelligent. So if there's another human being like that, and there are human beings like that. Yes? There are. So with respect and, and with love and well-wishing for them, we may keep it our distance. That's part of our injunctions and bhakti. Now, as far as people who are not offensive, evil demons, then we should learn repentance and forgiveness in a way that we can work together. Because if all we ever meditate on is how this person hurt me and how this person hurt me and how this person hurt me and how this person, hurt me, how, this person how will we ever have any sort of a society? Because we're all going to hurt each other sometimes, I'm sorry. If you work with people over a period of time, you're going to hurt them sometimes and they're going to hurt you sometimes, just like in a family. In a family, every family member will hurt every other family member at some time. In some way, am I correct? Can you live with somebody for 10 years and never hurt them and they never hurt you? Is that possible? I don't think that's possible. I mean, I'd like to meet that family, but I don't think it's possible. Just the way it is. And if you're always meditating on that. You know, why do we meditate on that? Because we're trying to protect ourselves. We're thinking, if I remember how this person hurt me, then I won't get hurt again. So you can be aware of it. I'm not saying one should be a fool. But we should focus on the other person's good qualities and wish well for them. So I may know with certain people, there's certain things I don't talk about. Yes? Certain topics you don't discuss with certain people. Certain activities you don't do with certain people. You know, if I try to do this with this person, it will be a problem. If I talk about this with this person, it will be a problem. But without hatred. And without this, this block of this fear of anger. But, you know, Takur says a Vaishnava Parad is not to feel joy upon seeing a Vaishnava. So you have all these blocks. Well, this person's hurt me, this person's hurt See, our main problem is we're thinking, if I do this, how will I be safe? Yes? I, I, have, I have to put up all these walls, and I have to have all this fear, and I have to have all this hatred in order to be safe. It's not necessary. One can be safe in other ways. One can be safe in that Krishna is protecting me. That my shelter isn't Krishna. My shelter was never in this other person anyway. None of you in this room are my shelter. I'm sorry. 
We're all fallible soldiers. I'm a fallible soldier too. It's not like we're all fallible soldiers. None of us can protect each other. None of us can give shelter to each other. We just can't. So why am I thinking that every each one of you is my shelter? And then when you're not my shelter, I become angry and I become afraid and I put up barriers. Why not just say, hey, you're not my shelter, Krishna's my shelter. And then I can deal with you intelligently on a practical level without those walls, without the fear and the anger and the envy and the attacking and the friends and enemies thing. Mari Krishna, Rake K, Rake Krishna, Mari K. Krishna wants to say, no one can kill me. Krishna wants to kill me. No one can say, somebody, but it is any mother. Then it just becomes, what, what do I practically do for my service rather than what do I do to protect myself? Emotional. What if we try to, I mean, we try to follow all, all these things which you said, and we are like actually respecting and loving to, to the people with whom we work. But somehow we are different-minded, completely different-minded and different. And uh, sometimes you you cannot be so much. Uh, um, there is not such a nice relationship because with the persons, although you try your best, because they are like just different-minded uh, people, and then. Uh, Sometimes, not even from your side, from them, they become nervous in your association because... Well, what does it matter? We're talking about our own internal peace and happiness. Yeah. It's not that everybody can work with everybody. Even in the spiritual world, there's groups. Chandravali has her group, Radhamani has her group. Sometimes they're all together. They're all together in Rasalila. They're all together in the Holy Festival. But other times, they're like... But there's love, there's not envy. So actually that's one of the injunctions that we should be with like-minded people. It's, it's one of the injunctions of bhakti, that we should be with like-minded people. And even in Yoloka Vrindavan, there's groups. There's groups of cows, there's groups of coward boys, there's groups of gopis. But there's no envy, there's no hatred, there's no malice. And there's appreciation. There's actually appreciation. So they may be playing some role as an antagonist and as a friend. Were you there when we did the, in Govardhan, we did the plan about Jatila that I was in? Did you see that? Were you there? You saw that? Remember that? So it was very interesting playing Jatila in the play. So Jatila is supposed to be the antagonist. She's supposed to be stopping Radharani from going to Krishna. But actually, she loves Radharani. And she also feels ecstasy when Radharani is with Krishna. She's part of the she's part of Radha Krishna's pleasure. So the so-called antagonism is, is not really antagonism. It's all sweet. So we can do that here also. And we're not dependent on how others treat us. It's not that I can only forgive people who repent. If they repent, then I can forgive them. Well, that's easy. Anybody can do that. If someone genuinely repents, forgiving them is very easy. The question is, how do we forgive when people don't genuinely repent? How do we how do we have good wishes for people who are difficult? who are of different minds, how to have respect. That's the, this, this situation is not how to be respectful and loving if everybody else is exactly the way we want them to be. First, Krishna, make everybody else exactly the way I want them to be, and then I'll be loving and respectful and forgiving. That doesn't mean anything. Krishna is loving, respectful, and forgiving, and we're not the way he wants us to be. He doesn't make excuses. Krishna doesn't say, okay. I mean, if he did say that to me, I'd be finished. I don't know about you, but I would be finished. If Krishna said to me, okay, Amula, 
first you have to be a pure devotee, and then I'll be kind and merciful and loving to you. Finish. I wouldn't be able to do anything. I wouldn't be able to take one step. So we want to be kind and forgiving and loving because it will make us happy. If somebody else doesn't want to be like that, that doesn't mean that I don't, I can't be like that. So if somebody else is, is unforgiving and, and friends and enemies mentality, I have to be like that too? Why? They're suffering being like that. Why do I want to suffer? And sometimes, not always, not always, sometimes, once you focus on the good in people and once you are genuinely forgiving, your relationship with them can change. Sometimes, not always. Some people, no matter how forgiving you are and how much you care about them and how much you focus on the good, on a practical level, you simply cannot have a working relationship with them. Krishna has the same problem. That there are some souls that no matter how much he loves them and how much he forgives them and how much he works with them and how much he helps them, he cannot have a practical working relationship with them. Yes? Does Krishna have the same problem? Yes? There you go. At least we're trying to work with Krishna, but there's many conditioned souls that aren't trying to work with Krishna at all. And Krishna just can't work with them. Because he's not going to force. He still loves them, he still forgives them, he still wishes them well. He doesn't feel like they're his enemy, but he, on a practical level, he can't work with them. Because they don't want to work with him. So if that happens to God, why won't it happen to us? If we're going to expect that if we're actually forgiving and loving, that everybody will want to work with us and we'll be able to get along with everybody, then that's some kind of madness. That's not going to happen. And even among the other devotees, some people will work with better than others. That's going to happen even in a liberated state. Akura didn't get along well with Urusena, who was his father-in-law. Prabhupada talks about that in the first canto. They were both pure devotees, and they were family. But they couldn't work together. That doesn't mean you hate each other, and that doesn't mean you say, I wish that person suffered. We're individuals. As individuals, some of us work better with some people than others. It just is the way it is. And a society of respect recognizes, okay, I may not work well with this person. I mean, I had just recently, there was a devotee that I really had a difficult time working with. I tried to work, tried to work with this devotee, and it just, it was a catastrophe. And then I saw this devotee maybe about a year ago, and I went up and I said, you know, I'm really sorry for any difficulty. And the other devotee said, well, look, it isn't you, it isn't me, it's just we can't work together like this. But I still had some feeling, well, it was him, you know? It wasn't really me, it wasn't really the circumstance, it was him. And then just recently, I was talking to somebody who I really respect, who was glorifying this other devotee for exactly the things that I and critical of. And I thought, oh, maybe there's a different perspective here. <laughs> maybe this devotee really is wonderful. Maybe it really isn't him, and maybe it really isn't me. Maybe, maybe he was right, but it really was just that we're not meant to work together in that particular project in that particular way. Okay, thank you very much. I'll go to